KYW Original Podcasts. The Coronavirus Pandemic from KYW In-Depth. I'm Carol McKenzie. We've been getting a lot of calls from our listeners about COVID-19 or otherwise known as the novel coronavirus, what it means, what they should be worried about, and they're trying to separate fact from fiction. So we put in a call to Dr. Brian McDonough. He's our medical editor here at KYW News Radio, and he sorted it all out for us. Dr. McDonough. Hey, Carol, how are you? I'm okay so far. How are you? Dr. McDonough, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. My pleasure. So first, first question, what are things like on your end right now? It's it's very frantic, and I think the largest thing I'm trying to do right now, both in my broadcast professional life and in my medical professional life, and frankly, my family life, is keep everybody calm, logical, and, you know, just staying the course. Uh, a lot of things are happening fast. It's changing every day. So there's a lot, obviously for a physician, there's a lot of reading, a lot of catch up, finding out what the CDC is doing, what the World Health Organization is doing, what the local uh, leaders are doing, Department of Public Health. There's just a lot going on. Um, I will tell you, though, the one thing that remains consistent, and it's been consistent from the beginning, and I promise you it will be consistent to the end, is the importance of washing your hands 20 to 25 seconds at a time, doing it routinely, and also cleaning surfaces, you know, with a wipe or whatever, if it's your work surface or places like that, because those things will help you from, you know, picking up coronavirus or COVID-19. How long does a virus stay alive on surfaces? You know, you hear different things. I had heard it won't be that long, up to a couple hours or so. I think because we don't really know, I tell my patients, because we don't really know who was there, when they were there, you just have to assume somebody may have been exposed or spread it, and then you're just coming along. So from a standpoint of practicality, when, you, when you're at a place you can control, like your workstation, or if you're, you know, you're sitting down in a, in a different, a strange car or something like that, that, those types of things are where you can kind of just quickly clean an area for yourself or keep your hands in your pockets, those types of things. So we've gotten a bunch of questions from listeners, and we really wanted to run these by you to get the factual information out there, because there is a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. The first one I want to ask you is from Elizabeth. My name is Elizabeth. Would you kindly define pandemic? What did it mean when they announced pandemic? What is the difference between a pandemic and an epidemic? Thank you. I think the biggest thing I would tell you about a pandemic is that a pandemic has taken us from the level of you are traveling somewhere else to get it to where it's in the community. In other words, we were all talking about, did you go to China? Where did you go? Did you go here and there? Now, once you say it's a pandemic, you're now saying it's in your community and it's something that you have to worry about wherever you are. So it really has nothing to do with the changes of characteristics of a disease, but it's associated with the concerns over geographical spread. So what the World Health Organization is, they say, um, there's a new disease, there are people who are not immune to it, and it's spread beyond around the world 
I guess beyond expectations. You know, they they you wouldn't expect something to do this much that fast. That's where they get the term pandemic. What it means in real practical purposes is that when we're in the office and we're talking to people and we're asking people, where did you travel? Where did you go? We're not as concerned about the uh, travel history now as just tell you how you feel, what you've done. Now, an epidemic is an occurrence of an infectious disease in a community at a particular time. So epidemic would be, let's say, if it hit the East Coast, a pandemic is hitting the world. Next question is from Anthony Branch. He lives in Chester, but he works in Philly. My question is, uh, I'm, I'm 67 years old, and I would like to know, what are the uh, symptoms associated with the virus? Okay, the, the symptoms of COVID-19, coronavirus, are very similar to the common cold, very similar to the flu, which is, makes it tough for us as, you know, as doctors because they're, they're often very similar. But what they are, in a nutshell, is you get a sore throat, you can have a fever, you can have a runny nose, you can get achy, feel fatigued, those types of things. And if you think about that, that's kind of what we all experience with a common cold. What happens, though, with COVID-19 in, in select people, especially people 50, 60, 70 as you get older, is that in a certain percentage of them, it can get into the lungs and get into the lungs in an aggressive form. What happens is it gets in there and the body, we believe, forms a reaction against it. It tries to fight it. That causes inflammation, which causes difficulty breathing. And in worst case situations, causes something we, causes something we call ARDS, which is a real bad respiratory uh, situation where you even have to have mechanical ventilation or support. Doctor, uh, testing has been a big, big issue in this country, not getting enough tests. Do you, at the hospital as a doctor, do you have the number of tests you need? And do you think that enough people are getting tested? It's, that's a tricky question. First of all, to answer your question, right now, as we do this interview, people are getting, are getting more tests out. We're in a situation where we don't have enough test kits. We all more or less have to use them like in an emergency room situation when we absolutely have to know. We can't test the general public. We don't have enough for that. That being said, I don't necessarily think it's a good idea to test the entire general public. The reality of this is about 70% of people are going to get this form of COVID-19 at one point or the other. Um, that's just the way it naturally spreads. Many of those people, especially young people, may get it. They might feel sick for a couple of days, don't even know they have it. And, you know, they're not going to get all those other symptoms. So a lot of that 70% won't even know they have it. So if we were testing everybody, you know, you'd be quarantining people and trying to prevent the spread which is what we're doing anyway without testing them. In other words, somebody comes in, they've got these symptoms. I, I already say, stay home a couple of days. If you feel better, you know, you can go back to work just like if you had a cold. But if you feel it's getting worse and worse, I want to hear from you again. And then if it gets to the point where it's bad enough that, you know, you have some, some difficulty breathing, these other symptoms I talked about that are beyond what anybody would have in a common cold, you know, you start to really struggle. That's when you would be calling and we would be getting the emergency room prepared for you to come in and getting you a mask, getting you tested and those sorts of things. So it's a having, I would love to have more tests, but I don't need to be testing everybody who comes to my office. Which is a big problem because it's allergy season and it's cold season. And Marge, uh, her question, we'll start, she has a two-part question, but the first one is, 
Can colds that are out there be harboring the coronavirus? A lot of people are saying, you know, I kind of got a cough and the sniffles. I'm not really thinking it's much, but I don't want everybody at work to think I have coronavirus, you know, because everybody's going to look at me funny or you almost are apologizing if you have the things that we've experienced this time of year. As long as I've been alive, it's like, you know, the weather starts to change, it gets a little warmer and you kind of get a little bit of a cold, you got sniffles and the back of your mind now is this coronavirus. So to talk about it, you, you have one or the other. In other words, if you have a common cold, which is a form of coronavirus, but not COVID-19, it doesn't mean you're going to get COVID-19. Um, It's an independent issue. If you were to get COVID-19 and you were to have it, our best of our understanding, and you got through it, is that you're pretty much going to have immunity because you've then been exposed to it. So it it, kind of, one doesn't bring the other. What To answer her question, though, where it becomes a problem is if you have an underlying illness, something like heart disease, uh, respiratory issues, those kind of things, diabetes, hypertension, long-term problems in your older, that that will make the potential of aggressive COVID um, when it happens more problematic because you don't have the reserve that you'd want to fight through it in some cases. Yeah. The second part of Marge's question. Where all the test kits are in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania, people should be able to, I would hope, drive up to a Dunkin' Donuts and get tested. And in fact, I think in Washington state, there is a drive-through virus. They, They set up, I think it was at a college, they set up a drive through test station. And I know they're working on that. I've heard in Pennsylvania there are, because I've heard from different physicians I've talked to, there are efforts to get that in place. Also, like a mobile van, which can do that, it makes the most sense. What you also want to have is you want to have people who have the proper equipment to protect them, the people who are testing, who do it all the time and are, are good at it. I mean, I, one of my roles, I teach in a residency program. So I teach young doctors. So I'm kind of in a hospital setting where I'm immersed in inpatient, outpatient. So, so, you know, I get better at that. But I could tell you, if I was someone, you know, in my own office, been doing it for 17 years in the community, and then all of a sudden I'm trying to test people, which I really didn't have to test to this level. There's a, you know, there's a degree of sophistication and care that goes into each and every one of those tests. Plus, you know, wiping down, changing the equipment, all those things, which um, also are a whole new worry as far as having the proper equipment to protect the person giving the test so they don't necessarily pass it on to anybody else or their family. So a question from Margaret from Spring City. She says she had symptoms in December, and she's wondering if what she had was the coronavirus, could she have had the coronavirus and just not know it? Anything is possible, but when you're talking about December and knowing about its path and when it began in China, it's highly unlikely. She may have had a form of coronavirus. Like I said before, coronavirus is really the virus that causes the common cold. Um, And so that's possible. But well, unless she had traveled or been in that endemic area and back then, I believe it would have been more China, uh, you know, when it when it first occurred. We're now in March. um, It would be highly unlikely. But I think you could expand on that and and say for I mean, sure, other people have had colds, let's say, in January and February and may now be wondering the same thing. At this point now, now I mean, let, let's look at it realistically. There's a 14-day period from when you're exposed to when you get symptoms in the vast majority of people. So if we're seeing people right now, you notice how we're just getting, we got like a case here and a case there, and then we're getting more cases and more cases. 
it's likely that there are obviously more people in the pipeline around the country who are going to start displaying it over the next the next week. It's less likely if you were in this area, you know, in Philadelphia region that you had it than maybe if you're up in New York where we had cases that were earlier. But anything's possible. The closer you get to now, the closer you get to where it's out there, um, the more likely it is. And I believe me, there's a lot of people right now carrying it, don't know they're carrying it, uh, won't know they carry it for a while or until they feel, you know, they feel start to feel bad, who, who could have it just by virtue of... They went to the 76ers game or they, you know, they went to uh, the flower show or they went to see their friends, you know, or went shopping. There's all sorts of places you theoretically could come across it. That's why the common cold is so common. It, It spreads easily. You know, if there's anything about this coronavirus, COVID-19, that you can be somewhat thankful for is although it's aggressive and although it does cause a high mortality rate in a certain percentage of people in a certain age group, it's not across the board. And it's not necessarily, you know, uh, something like Ebola. If Ebola spread like this, obviously it would be, it would be a devastating situation. Oh, I don't even want to think about that. Um, so you mentioned, you know, we mentioned events, you mentioned the flower show. And in fact, Governor Wolf has just announced that um, Montgomery County is now basically under a partial quarantine. Um you know, he's closed down all non-essentials, gyms, restaurants, retail that's not necessary because Lower Marion, that area seems to be where Pennsylvania's cases right now are centered. And we got a, we have a question from Patty, who's from Marion Station, PA, which is Lower Marion. I have two events coming up, and I'm just wondering what the recommendations are for attending those kind of events. The first thing is use your judgment. If it was me, I wouldn't go at this point. I think at this point, I, I think you want to limit. I know we want to be social. We want to do things. But, you know, this might be the time, you know, to binge watch, catch up on something else. Uh, uh, March 28th, my, my daughter works in New York, and I was going to go with my wife up, see her, and, and see Frozen. You know, I'm trying to get right now to get money back for that show because I, I really don't think right now the wisest thing to do, especially somebody like me in healthcare, would be to go into New York and sit in the theater with a bunch of people and watch a show. And you have to look at that. You have to look at the risk versus benefit. You know, if it's a small wedding uh, that, you, that a family has been looking to forever, you know, you then pick and choose who can go, who's safe to travel, those types of things. You have to weigh the risk versus the benefit and the situation you're in. But um, you know, it's always an individual decision, but I think at a certain point, like you said, there may not be those choices. I mean, what we have seen with uh, NCAA, March Madness, NBA, NHL, I mean, it, this is a message where people are, you know, they tried to do it voluntarily, but really that was just for a day or two. I think they were buying time. The reality was, you know, you had to shut these things down. You know what? You make me feel better because I just my son had a karate belt test on Saturday and I just pulled him out of it. Um, And I was feeling I'm not a paranoid person, uh, but I just felt that the risk, frankly, wasn't worth it because there were a few hundred kids and then toss in parents, grandparents and siblings and the close proximity of kids to each other. And so I you know, I they haven't canceled it that I know, but I pulled him out of it. Well, there's two parts to this. The first part is sometimes when they cancel things, it actually gives everybody a breath of fresh air and they feel better about it. Um, but the second thing is you look at, you know, 
you or me, your son, my son, any of us could get this virus. But if we felt we put someone in a position where they they didn't have to be, you'd always wonder if it's that what did it. And you don't necessarily want to be in that position because that's our, in human nature. We tend to sometimes blame ourselves, even if it's not our fault. It could be anywhere. We could all get a virus, um, you know. And but I think the other thing is, you know, I heard a number of people say, "Well, why are they stopping the basketball?" You know, you just told me young people don't do that bad. Well, like 0.2% can, but more importantly, young people have parents, they have grandparents, they have families, and that's what they're really also trying to do. Uh, When we were first talking about this, you know, I did an interview where we were talking about Major League Baseball. I'd be worried about the managers of baseball teams, like take the Phillies. Uh, You know, Joe Girardi, he's sitting in the dugout, and he's got a bunch of 24 and 25-year-olds. Two or three could have it and be spitting sunflower seeds, and they're spitting in the dugout. And he's just sitting there. And he's an older guy. If he got it, it may not do as well. I'm not saying any of the Phillies have it. I'm not saying Joe Girardi has it or is at risk. But what I'm saying is that's a scenario of you go, well, do we really need to be in this position? Like, is this worth it? Right. And you don't know who has an underlying health condition. Like, children can have underlying health conditions. And, in fact, we have a question here from Brenda, who's a doctor at CHOP. I've had lots and lots of calls from friends whose children have asthma, CF, and other underlying lung diseases. And they are asking, even though it doesn't seem to affect children, what about children with these types of diseases? By definition, if you have an underlying health condition, the risk is greater than somebody who doesn't. So a child with an underlying health condition statistically will do much better than a 66-year-old with an underlying, the same underlying health condition, but they're still at greater risk than the general public. And, and obviously, none of us want to get the virus. In other words, we know a certain percentage are, but if you can somehow avoid it and the thing, you know, dies out after enough people get it and there's like a herd immunity, uh, you know, we can get that. You know, one of the things I was saying is, you know, a lot of people are against the idea of vaccines. And I'm like, well, look at how so many people are wishing there was a vaccine for this. But like, well, that's what we have for the flu. And that's what we have for measles, bumps, rubella. And when people don't get vaccines, if enough people don't, you lose that herd immunity and you get situations like this. It's kind of a grim reminder of if we didn't have enough people vaccinated, a lot of those diseases could come back. Oh, we have a question from Susan, and she has a question. She basically says, isn't washing your face just as important as washing your hands? And I guess she's asking that because we are being told over and over again, wash your hands, but don't touch your face. Well, certainly wash your face after you wash your hands. Okay, so what you want to do is you want to get in there, wash your hands for 25 seconds. The reason why washing your hands is so important is you touch things with your hands. Most people aren't, like, moving in and, you know, hitting people with their noses. And and if they've got a bacteria, if they've got something on their nose, it's less likely to spread to others. Um, In addition, if something is on your forehead, you would actually literally have to touch it and then touch your eye to get it into a surface where it would be absorbed. The nose, the mouth, the eyes, they're the areas where we absorb things on a virus like this. So if you wash your hands, you dramatically cut that down. But there's nothing wrong with washing your face, but all things considered, wash your hands first. So Neil has a question about liquids and disinfectants. Um, He was basically asking what disinfectants you should get. I think it sounded like he had a generic brand and it wasn't specifically marked as like anti-germs or germicidal, whatever that, that term right, is. Right. So what do you need to look for? 
what you, a lot of them say like 99% germ fighter, blah, blah, things like that. And then on the back, almost like when you're looking at food and seeing, you know, the calorie breakdown and stuff on the back, it will tell different viruses and bacteria attacks. So that that's where you look at it. And many will say coronavirus. Now, it may not be this coronavirus because obviously they didn't test it, market it, and get it all out in the last month. But that being said, it's still better than nothing. And honestly, if you've got nothing else, you can wipe it down, wipe down an area with soap and water. You do everything you can with the best materials you have. Anything's better than nothing. So uh, I think that's your big lesson here. What you don't want to do is just show up at work, especially if you work with a lot of other people, and just show up and start using the computer keyboard. Yeah. And again, you know, somebody like me, we're always careful. Like we go from floor to floor in a hospital. Think about the environment. It's all, everything's computerized now. So think about the environment. We're you know typing in our notes about our patients. We're moving in. Nurses are moving back and forth. And if all it takes is one person not washing their hands and, and who touched an individual who might be positive, and you know it can, it can flood right through. Do you have time for one more question? Sure, no problem. Okay, so we had an anonymous caller, and he said, "Hello, Doctor McGonna. I'm trying to find out that if the virus started in China." Is it China's fault? Could we get reimbursed for all the millions we're spending to try to protect ourselves? Would China be responsible for the financial burden everybody has to go through because of their mistake? Thank you for your time. Now, that's not really a medical question, but it does kind of lead us to the, the, the question of where this all began. And I was talking to my, my 16-year-old daughter about this yesterday, and she said to me, do you think people understand how this started and the fact that it started and they think they've traced it back to these uh, kind of open air markets in China where these exotic wild animals are caged one on top of each other. And the fact that this isn't the first coronavirus to start like this in China. Can you talk about that and how this started? Well, I do believe, you know, as the research is being done, that is the leading theory. I mean, you have the conspiracy theory that it was created in a lab to, you know, to take out the world. The other theory is this one, which is we know that when you get different coronaviruses that they essentially uh, mutate and change and they can go from animals to human beings. So that can happen. And that's usually what happens. It's usually a vector that goes from animal to humans. They believe they've tracked it down from one to another. That's why we don't have the immunity, because we haven't, you know, been in touch with it like animals have. And it's new to us. And that's why they call it novel coronavirus, because it's new. Once we're used to it, the human body is amazing. It'll It'll fight it, and it'll build immunity to it. And that's when these new things come up. That's what happens. And because we are a global society, and we really are now, things spread much more dramatically. I mean, lots of talks about borders and races of people, creeds, colors. I always, As a physician, I always go, I just wish people could realize we're all the same. We are all the same because we react to all these things exactly the same way as, as we would you know, in any other case. Is there any way? I mean, we had SARS and now we have COVID-19. Is there any way to prevent this from happening again? No, it, it will happen again. And it's just in what degree and what it is and how it happens. What we have to do is take the information from this, learn more about antivirals, learn more about how to fight things, you know, learn more about reducing spread. But, you know, viruses, in some respects, bacteria, they're smarter than us. They mutate. They change. They adapt. That's how they survive. 
you know, and they move from host to host. So um, as we live in a more crowded society with more people and more individuals, changing environments, you know, things change. And, you know, it's been happening since the beginning of time. But in, in the old days, it probably just happened in a village or a certain area. And maybe word got out, maybe word didn't. And they, maybe it didn't. I mean, there were occasionally, like 1918, there were times when things spread throughout the world. But but in, in many cases, it's it's local. it's localized in one area. Doctor, thank you so much for being with us. We really appreciate it. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for taking the time. Okay, stay well. All right, you too. Hang Thanks. in there. Okay, <laughs> Wash thanks. your hands. I will. <laughs> will do. All right, bye. All right, bye-bye. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth Coronavirus. I'm Carol McKenzie. We'll be back with another episode soon.